the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back as we head into our three. It's a delight and privilege to welcome back Pete Peterson. He is the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. Their website, publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. We talk about some of the problems in higher education. The Pepperdine School of Public Policy is the solution. Pete, happy Friday. Welcome back. How you doing, sir? Real good, Seth. Always good to wrap up the week with you. Yeah, you too, sir. You too. Uh, we missed our appointment last week because of a holiday. Um, something perhaps even more touching will be commemorated this weekend, or should be. And I know you are out actively doing something uh, today uh, Pepperdine, at Pepperdine. Um, I want you to tell us a little bit about it, uh, the waves of flags. I, I've looked at it. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous memorial. Here, too, the yep. Honorable finds its due, uh, Virgil wrote. And then I want to talk to you about 21 years ago, how your life was changed, what you saw and how your life was changed a little bit. But first, tell us tell us what you were kicking off today. Well, thanks, uh, Seth. Yeah, it was uh, at the planting of the first flag ceremony for uh, what has become an annual event, really ever since uh, 2000. Nine, when a group of students came together uh, uh, associated with uh, Young America's Freedom Foundation, YAF, and uh, as YAF has done around the country, uh, did a flag installation. But what makes Pepperdine's different is, one, that the flags are quite large, and secondly, they run all across the front lawn of the university, all uh, nearly 3,000 flags, one for each life lost on 9-11, and uh, even down to and including uh, flags of those uh, who were not American citizens but were nonetheless killed on that day. So in the midst of what is probably around 95% American flags, you will occasionally see flags from Mexico and Australia and other, other nations, but it really just showed how the, the scope and scale of the of the tragedy uh, that befell us on on 9/11. It's a um, you know I I I I've, I've been looking at pictures of this this waves of flags that you guys do at Pepperdine and I kind of choke on the words or struggle to say uh, that it's a gorgeous thing or a beautiful thing. Though that's true, you understand my reticence in using those words because it's commemorating. One of the most awful things, obviously, the greatest terrorist attack on America in our history. Uh, I was in D.C. for that part of it. You were in New York for New York's part of it, which took the bigger brunt of it, of course. And it changed your life. Can you walk us through that day, Pete, a little bit for you and then maybe a little bit of the afternoon? Yeah, I mean, in fact, I was just telling some of this story um, at the opening of, of the ceremony here on what we call Alumni Park, which mm-hmm. is essentially the front lawn uh, of Pepperdine University. But the day began for me, as it usually did, uh, with the 
a.m. Midtown direct train leaving from uh, the small town of New Providence, New Jersey, in, in suburban uh, New York, uh, going into Manhattan, got into the office. I was usually the first person into the office working for a uh, web development and branding agency called Corporate Voice. Uh, opened the, the office, turned the lights on, and as people began coming in, uh, after the first plane hit, we got a call from one of the staff members, uh, actually one of the partners of the agency, who said uh, who lived down across the street from the towers and said, you know, a plane has hit uh, one of the Twin Towers, and I'm probably going to be a little bit late getting into the office. And, of course, when you first hear that, you're thinking, well, this is a Cessna or some sort that, of That's how it was. Plane. Yeah, that's how they were reporting it. I was watching Today, uh, the Today Show. That's what they were thinking. Yeah, something like a small, yeah. a smaller private thing. Yeah. And Go so ahead. you're just thinking, yeah, it might slow the trains down or, you know, maybe there's some debris that's fallen from uh, this impact or whatever it is. And then within about a half hour, we start getting phone calls into the office. And of course, we're able to see online some of the images of what's happening. And then the second plane hits and the uh, senior partner of this agency, uh, this was kind of one of those open floor plan kind of mm-hmm. advertising uh, offices, uh, stepped into the middle of the uh, the office and just said, I, we don't know where, where the next plane is coming down. Uh, we think everybody needs to leave the building. Now, I was at 38th Street and 8th Avenue, which is, as a crow flies, about a mile north of uh, Ground Zero. But, again, you know, to try to put yourself back into that environment, you really had no idea what else, I mean, was coming. Right. You know, right. it was entirely possible if if two planes can hit the trade centers, that, uh, where's the next plane coming down? Right. Of course, we had not heard it that what was going on in D.C. And I'm assuming, you know, a good portion and, of you. Uh, so we left the office. Uh, all the bridges and tunnels back to New Jersey were closed. So we uh, we were all, especially those of us who commuted in, were stuck. And so I called up a buddy of mine who was a district attorney for uh, the city of New York and was working out of their office in Staten Island named Alan Sputz. And Alan uh, had an... Uh, uh, apartment up in the Upper East Side. I said, Alan, you know, obviously you know what's going on. He couldn't leave Staten Island and I couldn't leave Manhattan. So I said, is there any way I could just crash at your place? Because there's no place to go. He said, sure. Just, uh, you know, told me where I could could get a key and and, uh, spent uh, the next hour and a half walking about 75 blocks from one side of Manhattan up to the other. And during that walk, you're just seeing uh, obviously, you're seeing these huge uh, towers of smoke coming up from what had been the Trade Center towers looking downtown. But then you were seeing cars coming up with soot and ash just flying off. You were seeing people that had obviously walked 60 or 70 blocks from downtown that were just covered in white dust and ash and asbestos and so forth. And uh, everybody was just walking uptown. And eventually got to the uh, apartment, stared at the television for two hours, and just couldn't take it anymore. Walked out into the middle of Central Park, um, as what you remember was just <laughs> picture perfect, beautiful early September 
day and stared downtown at these two brownish black pillars of smoke that were arising out of out of downtown. And I don't quite know how to describe it other than to say that I knew that my life was changed. I knew the world was changed and I knew that my life was changed. And at the time what it meant for me was that I I just felt like the world had expanded dramatically. Even living in a very metropolitan city like New York and working in advertising, when 9-11 hit, and again, as somebody who grew up in the New York metropolitan area and grew up with these two towers always being part of your uh, worldview, um, to see them destroyed and uh, and reduced to rubble um, was just mind-bending. I would learn later that afternoon that a close family friend, uh, Jerry Paskins, was killed in the building, and a friend of mine from church, Tim Crotty, who was working at Cantor Fitzgerald, which I'm sure many of your listeners oh, remember, yeah. was oh, yeah. one of those financial firms near the top of, of one of the trade towers, uh, was was also killed. Um, and so, you know, it just was one of those pivotal days for me that made me think about what I was doing with my career, uh, explore a sense of calling, and in a circuitous way, uh, led me across the country, my wife and I, uh, to go back to graduate school at Pepperdine, and uh, and so to come back to a place that I think like no other university in America commemorates that day. Uh, is really just a evidence of God working in my own life. Pete, how long did it take you? I'm, I'm heading into a break. Maybe we can pick up on this on the other side of this break. How long did it take you to realize or know or figure out that this wasn't, you know, a failure of communication systems or FAA? That it was a it was an assault and an attack. Can we pick up on on that and how the news reached you? I'm, I'm trying to recreate sure. some of what we who were there saw and knew to, you know, a generation of, of Americans that um, grew up without this, uh, just Absolutely. simply don't have the memory of it. Can we pick up on that when we come back on the other side of this? Yep. <clears throat> Thank you. I'm Seth Leibson. He's Pete Peterson, dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, and we will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Pete Peterson, the dean of the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, is our guest. We're recounting our memories and then lessons from what took place uh, nearly 21 years ago today. You think about a, a near generation of Americans who did not grow up uh, knowing or seeing this monumental thing. Uh, Pete, you and I are big fans and and, and um you have brought out to teach at your school uh, the great historian uh, Bill McClay, Wilford M. McClay. He writes uh, in the introduction to his history book, For the human animal, meaning is not a luxury, it's a necessity. Without it, we perish. Historical consciousness is to civilized society what memory is to individual identity. Without memory and without the, without the stories by which our memories are carried forward, we cannot say who or what. We are without them. Our life and thought dissolve into a meaningless, unrelated rush of events. That's why I think it's so important we recount this and talk about really how the world stopped turning for a moment and how it changed. Uh, I, I hope you agree, and I hope it's not too painful to recount some of this with you. No, actually, it 
it is uh, important and an honor that I appreciate to tell this story Good. because, as you say, um, that was uh, a moment that not only uh, is what I would call a hinge point in my own life, but also in American history and is worth considering um, as painful as the day was really the how incredible it was to witness America at its very best. Uh, Pete, um, so right before the break, I was I was asking the question, um, how long it took you to realize or at what point did you come to the awareness or knowledge that this was not an accident or a failure of technology of some sort, but a, an assault and an attack. Did you did you know that afternoon, that morning? At what point did it hit you? We were under attack. Well, I, I think it's worth noting, just for a little historical and maybe a strange historical reference, I, I was actually on a New Jersey to New York path train bound for the World Trade Center hmm. in October of 93 that was eventually diverted to Midtown uh, for some meetings in Manhattan, only to find out after we, uh, a colleague and I were, were making a business trip into the city, when we came out of the, the train station in Midtown Manhattan, we saw on the screen that, uh, that a, a van bomb essentially was attempting to, to blow up one of the World Trade Towers. Mm-hmm. This was the 93, the first attack, right? That's right. And I only say that to say that there had been some precedent. So for those of us who had been there in 93, I wouldn't say that we were always kind of wondering when it was going to happen again, but we we knew that that was a symbol to many who sought to harm the United States. And so once I had the realization that this wasn't a Cessna or a Beechcraft or a Lear jet flying in, that it was actually a passenger jet, for the first, yes, half hour or so, uh, and in fact, uh, having this partner that I mentioned before who lived across the street, we had him on speakerphone, and he thought for sure that there was something messing with the radar of uh, that was clashing between the World Trade Center antenna that are up at the top of that those buildings and, and the plane radar. It was within about a half hour or so, and certainly when the second plane hit, everybody realized, wow, this it's finally it's it's happened again. That's kind of the interesting uh, takeaway uh, from people who were there for 93 and who knew it. I remember talking with um, Andy McCarthy, who had prosecuted the blind shake. Uh, you yeah. know, you you know, Andy McCarthy, probably. Of course. Yeah. yeah. OK. Yeah. And, and he told me he knew with the first plane, he knew with the first plane, there were some that took it very seriously uh, and thought they would be coming again or knew they would be coming again. And it turns out, you know, we look back and miss the dots that should have been yeah. connected. You had the USS Cole in 2000, yep. right? Uh the distance between today, September 9th, and September 11th is the same distance between the New York Times putting on something like page 15, the death of uh, the, the, the the bombing death, the suicide bombing death 
of Mahmoud Shah, who is the head of the Northern Alliance in Afghanistan, mm. right? That was published yep. in the New York Times a couple days before. Obviously, al-Qaeda took him out knowing that he would be our ally in any kind of response. We didn't connect that. And, um, and, and, and I suppose this connects a little bit to where you took your life afterwards, because there was something in America in those days— where we were living in a bubble. We couldn't conceive of this kind of evil. It was unimaginable to too many of us. Uh, The bubble couldn't possibly last, but we were in a bubble of some sort or another, weren't we? Yeah, we were. And I I think in some ways, you know, it comes out of nowhere, right? I was, my wife and I were watching Moonstruck, uh, one of our favorite movies, uh, about a month or so ago. And sure enough, you know, in several of the scenes, there are the World Trade Center yeah. towers. Yeah, yeah, uh, there. And every once in a while, you're watching video from New York City back in those days, and and you realize again just how beyond the scope of imagination this was, mm-hmm. especially for those of us who grew up with it there. But what followed, right as you're as you're saying, was a time of just incredible unity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and this was national, obviously, not just in the New York metropolitan area, but as someone who continued, who was living there, I mean, there wasn't a house without an American flag. That's the right. stories of flag companies running out of, you know, uh, flag fabric uh, and just what people were doing, you know, to support one another. Um Again, even as people are still trying to evaluate, I mean, from at least a month and a half after 9-11, you would walk the streets of Manhattan and still see posters with pictures of yeah. of missing loved ones. Um, I remember so, I remember putting together with Dr. Bennett, we were putting together some 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 anecdotal um Evidence of of some of this coming together and some of us, some of this, shall we say, becoming a more serious nation uh, for a little while. What you're talking about. Yeah. Flag stores run out of flags. Bookstores run out of books on Islam. AA and 12 step meetings uh, were standing room only. Uh, Divorce attorneys. This was interesting. Divorce attorneys were saying that people in the midst of divorces were withholding their petitions a little bit longer. They withdrew yep. the petitions for divorce. This is how serious a country we were for about two months, three months maybe. Yep. It didn't last. Let me go to a quick break, uh, if yep. I can, Pete. I want to resume that part of it when we come back and, 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 and have you give us a little of your own testimony as to you know how your life personally changed. And I'd like to talk to you, too, about how Pepperdine commemorates your school, Pepperdine School of Public Policy, how it's commemorating with this uh, waves of flags versus what I remember was going on at a lot of universities at that time as well. They may not have fit the profile you and I were talking about just as much as we would have wanted them to. Um, We'll be right back with more from Pete Peterson, Dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy website, publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. You want to follow him on Twitter, too. Very active in Really interesting Twitter feed. He puts up some of the most interesting stuff. Pete for CA, at Pete for CA. We'll be right back. (laughs) 
Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Pete Peterson is our guest. He's the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. If you're looking at a career in public policy, this is the place to go. This is the place to check out publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Talking about commemorating 9-11, Pete and I were making the point about from tragedy and ashes, we saw a beautiful part of America, too, in a uniting. A lot of us, Pete, you may recall, were saying, well... You know, this age of relativism might be over because we finally uh, saw uh, the face and hand of evil and the face and hand of good at the same time beyond peradventure. Um, And it it didn't last, but it didn't even commence in some places. There would be no doubt in my mind that Pepperdine got it and other schools did, but too few. There's an art professor you may know at Williams College, Michael Lewis. Do you know Michael Lewis at Williams College? Yep. And he wrote about a commemoration uh, that next month at Williams College, which had lost some alumni on 9-11. And he said he was the only professor there. He said anyone else on the payroll at Williams that attended was physical plant staff. Um, And then, of course, we remember the stories of other professors at different colleges saying things about America had it coming, chickens coming home to roost, little Eichmanns and the things like that. The elite. Um, parts of the elite culture still didn't quite get it, did they, Pete? And maybe now even worse. Maybe. I wonder what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, it's um, it was a glimpse into the separation between how different groups of people understood 9-11. Right. You know, we're, you were mentioning before that some of the signs were there that we were leading towards an event. And, of course, the the book, The Looming Tower, yeah. really does get us back yeah. up to yeah. like 5,000 feet and say, wow, this was really part and parcel of a yeah. much larger movement uh, seeking to attack the United States. And it is something to go through something that is so abjectly and obviously evil, uh, that if you live through the lens of, well, America's bad too, yeah. or, right. um, you know, there's really no such thing as true evil, Yeah. that when something as obvious as this, the innocents yeah. who were killed, yeah. uh, it, it, it's difficult for you to respond to it because it really does put a lie to so many of the ways in which you looked at the world, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's right, Pete. And and it makes me wonder if it's a lesson we never truly learned. You know, I, the reason one of the reasons I love Wilfred McClay as much as you do, the great American historian, and his book Land of Hope, among others, is he talks again and again and again about what happens to a culture without memory. He says, a culture without memory will necessarily be barbarous, but easily tyrannized, even if it's technologically advanced. Incessant ways of daily events will occupy all our attention. And and I think we're in that again. We're in that mode again. There's a frenzy that's going on right now where we leap from emergency to crisis to emergency to crisis. And we lose a lot of historical perspective, which is to say we lose all perspective. Is that fair? Is that a fair statement? I do, and of course, we 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 are having these internal debates at a time when 
in my view, an even greater threat to the United States is on the move. Uh-huh. Uh, and of course, I'm, I believe it's China. Uh-huh. And our inability to understand that America continues to have um, enemies abroad, uh, to whatever degree, however we decide to respond to that, but to believe that America does not have enemies abroad is almost a way of kind of absolving uh, or, or in some way supporting your pre-held notion that America really is the one at fault in mm-hmm. so many other ways. Mm-hmm. And I do think that one of the things that 9-11 did immediately was after, especially after the fall of the Berlin Wall, when so many thought we were at the end of history mm-hmm. and you know we were heading toward the sunlit uplands of a unipower world, that America still did have true enemies. Yeah. And, uh, and I believe we've lost that. But we better get we better get back to that awareness, not out of fear, but just out of clear a clear eyed view of the world. Yeah, out of the seriousness, out of survival, and out of a exactly. protection. Yeah, and out of a protection of the innocent. Um, never again, again. Um, l- let's talk about that phrase. Never again. When we come back, can we do that, um, Pete? Yeah, I would. Uh, thank you, Pete Peterson is our guest. He is the dean um, at the great. Pepperdine School of Public Policy, um, just doing a great job over there. Again, if public policy is your interest, which I hope it is, and you want to get a degree in it, help improve the world, that's the school to go to. Pete Peterson and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Pete Peterson, the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, is our guest. Pete, can I can I set up this question this way? Um, I was a Democrat in my youth because I cared about human rights, and then I became a Republican because I cared about human rights. And when I care about human rights, it's obviously the way anyone like yourself would care about human rights with the knowledge that the abuse of civilization or civilization abuse never stays within its own territories. It didn't in Nazi Germany. It didn't in the Soviet Union. It doesn't in China today. You mentioned China uh, one of the things I say is the greatest lie of the 20th century is never again. The China thing, it's its happening now. You read about some of this in the 2000s, the early aughts, uh, in, in, in some of these is, Islamic states, um, the, the, the radical Islamic states. They had human shredding machines. In China, they're building their military, they're threatening democracies, and they are building concentration camps and plowing down houses and disappearing families in the Shenzhen province. We fool ourselves when we say never again. We watch this happen all the time, don't we, Pete? I mean, it's an indictment on... It's an, it's a bit of an indictment about the West, frankly, I think. Yeah, it is, and I, I do think that it is a unique challenge regarding China, and in particular, unlike... Uh, the first Cold War, mm-hmm. you know, the historian Neil Ferguson dubbed this the second Cold mm-hmm. War mm-hmm. in China, mm-hmm. that we were told for decades that the opposite course should be taken, meaning engagement with China would lead toward uh, internal uh, reform and a move towards uh, democratic norms. Mm-hmm. And with that came a number of Uh, business and economic decisions made by major corporations and even small companies 
uh, to invest ourselves in China to make that happen. And now we've obviously been caught with that uh, Marxian proverb that uh, they will sell us the rope to hang themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in that, it's 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 a different level of awareness. Now, I think most experts on the subject, who you and I would trust, have said that one of the most important things the Trump administration did was to fundamentally understand and call out the threat that China was right. and to not only call it out in rhetoric, but to put it into uh, foreign policy and national security directives. And to their credit, uh, most of those directives and uh, views on foreign policy as it regards China, uh, while I believe uh, held by a weaker hand, have transitioned into the Biden administration. So the the Trump administration, and obviously COVID, also precipitated these changes as yeah. well, yeah. but did show that the path that we were on, the one that we that all believed was the right direction toward engagement, uh, was actually the, the absolutely wrong path to be on. The toughest of questions for someone in your position, probably, Pete, is talking about our internal problems um, here in regard to understanding evil or understanding even Marxist-Leninism. Um, how, how, how can I put this uh, most, most decently? Lincoln said, if, if death be our lot, it can only come from suicide. We will be the authors and finishers. Yeah. No one else can do it to us. There is not a small portion of America, American elites, academics, that um, that believe that what China is doing is okay, uh, that think that we are overreacting, and that think we are no better than China. Um, we are deserving of Marxist-Leninist philosophy implanted here. Um, socialism uh, has much more purchase here than it ever did. Um, as a as a young man, there were no socialists in Congress. There's six now and over 100 self-declared socialists in state and local governments throughout the country. And gosh knows you know what's going on in the university. Not Pepperdine, but you know what I'm talking right. about. Yes, I do. Uh, what do you say about that? Again, uh, the unwinding of what had been national and cultural engagement with China is uh, going to take – Uh, I hope we are allowed the time that it takes to do this. Good. Uh, But with each passing day, there are events that let us know that the world is is changing, and the China that many believe could be engaged cannot. I direct your attention to the Chinese domination of the Solomon Islands uh, off the coast of Australia, and the recent... Uh, move by the Chinese government through the government of the Solomon Islands to reject an approach by a U.S. Coast Guard cutter right. that had regularly uh, used that as a port of call. Right. You know, this Belt and Road 
uh, plan that the Chinese have, I think, is still only understood by about 10% of the American population. Oh, my gosh, if that, yes, right, right. And, and again, getting a, a clearer sense as more and more reports come out about how they are affecting uh, dominating relationships across the globe from Jamaica to Africa to the Solomon Islands throughout the Pacific, that we are, we are not dealing with uh, an accountable state. And in that, I, 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 I hope we do get the opportunity uh, to awaken ourselves uh, to the threat that China is indeed posing, one that is based, back to your point, on a particular secularized worldview and a Marxist dogma at its heart. Yeah. Yeah, that, that that it's 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 an interesting thing. We commemorate things like the fall of the Berlin Wall, uh, and and we commemorate these great moments of victory, um, and 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 yet it's odd we we forget about the pockets where they weren't defeated, where the ideology wasn't defeated. Uh, parts of Asia, and yep. parts of America, right, Pete? That's right. Yeah. God bless you, sir. God bless you for what you do. Um, thank God you were spared on 9-11. Um, thank God that um, your voice in your school and your teaching uh, is still prodigious here in this land. I, I don't know what more to say. These these are moving days, and um, they are. here, too, the Honorable finds its due. Thank you, Pete Peterson. Thanks so much, Seth. Really you, appreciate it, you uh, betcha. especially. Thank you, sir. Uh, I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Um, for those of you that want to communicate to your children or teach your children about what did take place 21 years ago and what led up to it, Pete mentioned, Pete Peterson mentioned the book The Looming Tower by Lawrence Wright. I think that's the best book. Um, truly, I think it is. It is fantastic. Um, for those of you that like um, or prefer movies or in addition um, – you may find this a little odd, but I have to tell you, it was a fantastic movie uh, done by Oliver Stone. I know that's not a typical name you would hear in this context, but his movie from 06, World Trade Center. It's a beautifully well done story of a few um, real life people's lives and, 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 and how, how, how they went through, suffered through and overcame the exact um, the exact attack on the day of 9-11 and, and subsequent to it. Beautiful movie, uh, World Trade Center, it really is. I guess I'll close on this theme of trying to stay out of frenzy. I, I hate the frenzy. I hate the leapfrogging of crisis to crisis where we lose all perspective. I've been reading from uh, Wilfred McClay's book, A Land of Hope, uh, talking about that. And he quotes uh, the writer Isaac uh, Singer, Isaac Basheva Singer. When a day passes, it is no longer there. What remains of it? Nothing more than a story. If stories weren't told or books weren't written, men would live like beasts. Only for the day. They'd live just for the day. The whole world, all human life, it turns out, is one long story. One long story. Don't get caught up in the frenzy. Turn off the cable news. Tune out from social media that is not ennobling and enriching. The reason I use the word frenzy to describe 
the modes of communication and news and crisis were put through is because of its etymology, phreneticus. It's about delirium and insanity. Don't let the frenzy of the culture, the insanity of the culture, reach and grip you. Push back against it. Have a meaningful, safe, healthy, and hopefully happy weekend, folks. Thanks for spending some of your week with us. God bless you all, and till Monday, class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.